Welcome to the Salad Days Podcast, featuring interviews from your favorite artists talking about their musical origins and humble artistic beginnings. Join me, Dave Ulrich, as we travel back to the early days and hang out for a bit. Our journey this week features our special guest, Dave Clark, from the bands Dinner is Ruined, The Dave Clark Four, The Woodchoppers, Rio Statics, and many, many, many more. This was a really great conversation with Dave. Uh, we go through so many things uh, over 30 years plus history together and uh, uh, all of the musical connections that, that we've we've had over the years and personal. But one of the things that uh, did not come up in the interview and I want to highlight is just also the the impact that Dave had when I started Zunior.com in 2004. He was very uh, very vital in just kind of putting out the word uh, within the the Toronto scene and the Canadian scene to let people know about this new thing, uh, this digital music store and so many of the early uh, artists that were on Zunior, I think I can attribute directly to Dave. And so here it is, my conversation with one of the greatest Canadians, Mr. Dave Clark. Okay, well, so let's let's we'll start in with this, Dave. And it's like again, just the general context is this idea of essentially how and why you got into music. That's the, so the idea is to try to go back, and that's the whole idea sure. of the track. But yeah, but yeah. Um, so the first thing we we'll usually start off with is just uh, uh, you know a, a point of common reference and history that we have uh, together, you and I, and we yes. have a lot, I think. And so sure. I pondered <laughs> all of the different stories, and I the one that uh, stuck in my mind was the it was the second Rio Statics tour. And we were you. You guys were nice enough to take us out west, mm. and we had played in Calgary. We were in my. I had my father's uh, Caprice Classic that we were touring <laughs> across the country in. And for I don't remember what the reason was, but we going from Calgary into Vancouver, we switched. We switched out Mike. I think it was maybe because he was hungover or something like that. And you came with me, and so the two of us drove through the night through the mountains. Yes. And the two things I remember about that one was the music that we were listening to and this concept of hearing things like we had never heard before in the dead of night going through yes. driving this car through the mountain. And then the other one was uh, that uh, I think we both almost uh, died uh, when the, I tried to overtake a car and I was a little bit too, uh, I, I literally was one of those classic head on truck coming right out of scenarios. And, uh, and I don't think it was cause I was sleepy or, or uh, you know, like, late but it was an unusual uh, lapse of judgment and it was very close very close call from what i remember but uh, yeah. that's that's the that's what i think of is that that story um what, what well, jumps to your mind well interestingly enough uh you'll you may be surprised like i don't remember the near-death experience but i do remember that we were listening to the beatles and and we were noticing that or pointing out like these were the american masters and apparently Bernard Purdy had played on top of some of Ringo's grooves. And when you listen to the recording and we did, uh, you can hear on like Lady Madonna and some other tunes where particularly Lady Madonna, where, where uh, there's a really groovy brush part happening, driving the tunes. Yes. That's and, right. Uh, yeah. I remember that specifically. Um, yeah. I think that uh, it was a, I, the near death one, uh, uh, it might have been more near death for you. I might have like been looking out the other the other side of the window, <laughs> yeah. staring at the staring at the, the, the darkened tree shadows or something. But <laughs> in which case, you kept it cool. <laughs> yeah, no, no. I, and the other the other point I'd make about that specific trip was the idea that we were so we were going into Vancouver for the very first time. Yeah, and I believe that we uh, arrived in the early morning, and I think the rest of the band had already was already there. And yes. they were in a hotel room asleep. And I think we went in and, and like had to find a spot on the floor and got a couple of hours before heading down to the um, town pump or whatever it was. Remember yeah. that very, very, very first Vancouver oh, show. I, I remember that specifically because I was really pissed off uh, because, yeah. because we were not set up as like you guys. First off, they kind of like left town without us. <laughs> yeah. They, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And that was pre pre uh, internet and, and cell phone days. It's like okay, great, nice move. But I, 
I can't remember the parameters or the reasons why they did and or did not tell us that they were doing these things. And when we get to the hotel, there was no room for us. I do also remember that sitting in that, that hotel lobby was a guy in a pinstripe suit who I played hockey with for the Royal York Rangers. His name was Brian Deck. He always had a face that looked like he was quizzically sad. <laughs> wow. <laughs> and I recognized him sitting there because he had such a, a distinct face. It's like, like you're not going to miss like Ernest Borgnine uh, or, uh, you know, wow. like there's certain people where you just see their face and remember forever. And uh, I didn't talk to him because I was, I was distraught for like being burnt out and uh, wanting just to sleep. You know, that is such a great specific memory, Dave. Wow. <laughs> um, okay. So let's, let's start with like what I, there's sort of a traditional uh, first question that I ask, which is just, um, so I'm trying to get, evoke the spirit of, what your life was like in high school in your house, yeah. um, maybe at the ages, you know, 12, 13, something like that. And so the question is yeah. uh, that this, there might be a smell coming off the stove or out of the, out of the oven that really reminds you of uh, Friday or Saturday night. And so the oh. question is what, what, what was on the stove or in the oven on that Friday night for Dave Clark well, in high school? It, it depended on the time of year, but if we were lucky and it was a Friday night and the weather was nice, it would actually have been the side door open to the kitchen and the barbecue uh, grilling up some steaks and, uh, and, and uh, potatoes, baked potatoes. That and sounds that was, pretty good. The gears is mighty fine actually. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, depending on where my mother was on the, uh, the bipolar spectrum, you could be getting that or, or you could be getting some uh, dismal thing cause uh, she was on the down, but uh, uh, you know, the, the steak thing, I remember the steak, I, that was back when I was uh, eating a lot of flesh, as they say in Germany, <laughs> with, a, with, a, with a great deal of uh, a great deal of uh, horseradish, which I've loved all my life. And uh, when I was a little kid, I loved eating horseradish by the spoonfuls. And my parents, and even some of their friends, would test me out on various horseradishes to see if I had where my threshold was. And I remember when I hit the hot threshold or the heat threshold on one of them. It was at uh, my friend Mark's house. His parents were friends of my parents and they said try this one and i never forgot it it was called bingo and uh bingo was bingo bingo, bingo like hit the red button wow <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah okay so so uh in that same spirit of what was going on in the house uh was there something on the tv or like a p- particular show that your you or your family may have watched uh in, you know on a friday night saturday night well i definitely like you know there it was weird. There, there was a point at which it just seemed like uh, all matters of technology uh, kind of inco- at that point in time encompass in one. We had a nice radio and uh, my dad bought a nice radio and we always had a radio on at dinner uh, because my dad's jaw clicked and nobody wanted to hear it. Oh no. <laughs> so if we had a radio on with enough kind of like, it's not that we didn't talk to each other. We t- we did speak to each other, but there was a radio on kind of to dis- uh, like kind of distract you. You wouldn't hear it. And then we had then and then at one some point we got like a a little junior TV and uh, we might have like watched you know the Mary Tyler Moore show and uh, yeah then we had we had Mary Tyler Moore definitely and uh, and then sometimes uh, even the Muppets like uh, it would oh, show yeah. whatever show around that show around dinner and it would be on and it was an interesting thing that we people just wanted relief from the day and uh, and we 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 would watch that sometimes during during dinner. I definitely remember, you know, on a uh, on a Sunday afternoon, the this very specific period of watching uh, the Little Rascals and kind of you know, sort of sunny, black and white old school stuff. Um, I watch and a lot of Three Stooges, a lot of Three Stooges. You oh know? yeah, yeah. Uh, and yeah. there was only a couple of channels, so that's what you would do. But but yeah. I, you know, sometimes in in and around uh, when I think about this time frame for myself, I think of where um, where music where music came in. You know, when I think of TV, I can't, I honestly, I cannot think of a lot of music that I would have seen on TV, short of maybe musical acts on uh, uh, something like a variety show like Wayne and Schuster or something like that. But yeah. but for me, it was, you know, I, I, I'm the last of seven kids and, yeah. uh, you know, we've, we've talked about all kinds of things over the years, but, uh, you know, there definitely was, there was a lot of music in the house and a lot of, a lot of vinyl and there was a lot of classic rock radio mm-hmm. and uh, all, all these things kind of, you know, played into 
the first experience I had with instruments where it was one of my brother's friends kind of left a drum kit in the house and I had this wow. little Mattel four, four, four pad, you know, that you could just, you, we could mm-hmm. plug it into a speaker and you could have, you know, I remember trying to do twist and shout with, uh, you know, it was with Mike in high school like huh. before, before anything with the inbreds and all that kind of stuff. But, um, what, what was the music specifically that was playing in and around the house? And, and did you have influence from, uh, you know, your parents or your family in that, in that area? Yeah, yeah, tons. Uh, one thing I will say about our house is that there was always music happening. And uh, I was the last of four. And uh, my brother and sister, my oldest sister was 11 years older than me. My brother was 10 years older than me. And uh, by the time I came around, it was kind of a free-for-all. And uh, my parents were in their second childhood in their mid-40s. So they they left me a lot with my sister and brother and would uh, go off to the cottage that we owned, which we were lucky enough to have. Or they would just, you know, go and party with their friends a la you know many people of that post-war era and post-depression era did and uh, so i was left at home while my par- my brother and sister were partying so at a young age they would their friends would come over and uh, i would be hearing a lot of like uh led zeppelin 2 deep purple uh janice joplin a little bit of cream which never turned my crank uh jimmy hendrix a little bit of hendrix of course, the Beatles. The Beatles were ubiquitous with everybody. Like, you know, nobody uh, of my my vintage or before, like, didn't get touched by the magic hand of the Fab Four. And uh, they had a huge influence on our life. And in our house, yeah, so that I would be hearing that music. I'd also be hearing at the same time my sister was, like, into Barbra Streisand. I love Barbra Streisand. And, like, okay, things yeah. like Nana Muscuri. And we heard Gordon Lightfoot all the time. And, uh, and, um, and then, you know, like... Sly Stone was in there and Aretha Franklin and kind of whatever was, was happening. There was, like, there was pop music and we were listening to the radio. I remember really loving the Joker, like later on, like Steve Miller and things like that. Um, you know, um, one, yeah. one thing I, as you're saying these, I'm thinking reminded of how my, my older brothers had the uh, classic Columbia record house uh, club for, yeah. for records. And so I can, I can actually remember, you know, the day when they would open the mail Wow. And crack out one or two records. And I, for some reason, I, I can also think of really staring at the art, even yes. trying to comprehend the cover of, I think it was Killer Queen. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah. But but you can maybe remember this. Which Queen album is it that you open it up and it's got, I think it's with, I want, want to ride my bike. And then it's like got all these, it's literally like a. Oh, Day the Races. Yeah. Like naked, all, all naked, naked women. Yeah. Yeah. That, that, that was pretty mind blowing to check that out. <laughs> I remember, like, I remember the, the like, uh, you know, uh, Killer Queen and those, those, well, a day of the races because I was really into skateboarding. And at that time, there was a skateboard park far, like, you, you had to, like, get somebody's parents to drive you up there pretty far away from where we lived. And, uh, it was on the big speakers as we were riding the half pipe and stuff. But, um, like, yeah, it's interesting. What I did mean to say pre- previous to that, too, Dave, was, uh, my parents were totally into music. Uh, my we all we had a piano at the house. My mom played, and my dad could play by ear. My sisters took lessons. I didn't take lessons. One day, I heard somebody playing stride, like New Orleans kind of barrel house piano. Went downstairs. It was my grandmother's, and my grandmother was almost deaf. I said, and I, she made me call her by her name. I said, Ma, I didn't know you could play. I didn't know you could play piano, Ma. She said, God damn it, Davy. Of course I can play piano. And, and uh, <laughs> But at the same at the same time, my sister, my oldest sister, uh, played in a band, and they and I think I was like eleven years old, ten or eleven, ten, and uh, they started rehear- ten, yeah, ten. They started rehearsing at our house. I thought I was gonna lose my wow. mind. I, there was like, I I couldn't believe it. it. Like people were playing music, and there was a drummer, a guy named Wally. Uh, uh, who had a beautiful snare and drum kit, and he would let me, you know, when they were finished up, he'd let me go over and like tap on the things. I could do anything I want, but I just thought of going like ting, bap tap. I was too shy to think of hitting them. And then, then I begged my parents for drums for two years straight. And um, I knew my neighbor, Alan Grant, who was older than me, like five or six years older than me. I would go play ball hockey with these guys because I was really into sports and. I knew he had a drum set because his band played at my grade seven dance. And uh, 
I remember hearing going to the washroom so I could listen to them sound check, hold the oh, line yeah. by, by Toto. And uh, <laughs> uh, anyways, I, I used to call Alan once in a while and ask him if he would sell me my sell me his drum set. Uh, I had no money. I had never spoke to my parents about it. I would just call him up and ask him that. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> With like no, lo- no logic line whatsoever, Dave, other than can I buy your drum set? And then somehow I'm going to like, find all this money to buy this guy's beautiful Rogers drum set. And uh, that, that makes me think of a story when I was, uh, I, I think I had two things at the same time. One, I wanted, I had these drum bits, so I wanted to buy a specific, I think it was like a, my first symbol, like a Sabian symbol. Yeah. But at some, some, somehow I must've read an article somewhere about the power of negotiation. <laughs> so <laughs> I can remember going down, I go down along the McQuaid and I've got $60 in my pocket. Whoa. But but I, I think the negotiation thing that I had read suggested something to the effect of, you know, you basically you go in, you tell them the price that you're prepared to to do, and then they got to find you something for that, but you, you just do not budge. So I, my memory of it is I went in and I was like, okay, I got $50. I got, I got $50. I can get this symbol, you know, da, da, da. And I work it out and it's $50. The guy says, taxes in $50. And then I realize, and oh, the other one was you always pay cash. So I, but, but being a dumbass, I actually had three twenties so all i could do after negotiating this guy down to fifty dollars it's all i got i give him i give him 60 bucks and he gives me ten dollars change <laughs> <laughs> i thought i was being pretty cool but not uh, much. he almost pulled it off that was pretty suave oh that's funny <laughs> that's really funny okay oh, so man. uh i i just just because it's it's do you remember the first time you heard rush uh i i can kind of dial in i think like one of the earliest ones, uh, let me see. I was in my, my friend's house and uh, it might have been Fly By Night. Uh, I'm pretty sure it was either Fly By Night or All the World is Stage. And uh, that was grade six, grade six. And uh, man, it would just blew my mind. And, uh, and once I heard them, I thought, this is, this is for me. And when I, you know, soon thereafter found out they were from Toronto, I thought, this can't be. What? These guys are from Toronto? They are gods. <laughs> and then oh, yeah. I remember looking at the, the triple disc gatefold of all the world's a stage and thinking, man, that, that's what I want to do. That's, that's, that's for me. This is it. And, uh, and listening to the Getty Lee go, ladies and gentlemen, the professor on the drum kit. <laughs> and, then, and then Neil cracking into that amazing uh, Gene Krupa-esque inspired drum solo. And uh, it's so big band, that drum solo. I love it. Yeah. And, uh, um, yeah, just having my mind blown. Uh, what, how they were singing, what it was about, it just seemed to mean something more to me than so much stuff. And, and I wasn't a music snob at all. Like I'm telling you, at that same time I was listening to that, I – the next year in grade seven, I was listening like the Sex Pistols, ACDC, Barbra Streisand, the Bee Gees, uh, Kenny Rogers, uh, Frank Zappa, you name it. I, I'd listen to anything. If it made me feel good, I'd listen to it. And uh, But Rush had a, a special spot in my heart, like everything about it, the, the font of their, their logo, uh, the uh, you know the way they presented things. And more than anything, it just seemed like, uh, maybe well, I'm saying it now as so I don't know if I, maybe I intrinsically felt it, but it felt real. It felt kind of honest and, and it appealed to me. And then boy, once I started playing the drums, it was like, man, I'm, I'm aiming my boat there. So, well, I, I can definitely say that, uh, you know, my, my drum skills are not in the, in the, in the realm of, uh, of, uh, of a Neil Pert, but specifically I do recall watching Toronto rocks every day in high school. Yeah. And they yeah. were playing uh, "Time Stands Still" that that video a lot. Okay. And yeah. the, one of the first times I had my kit, maybe with that nice Sabian symbol, uh, mm-hmm. I remember going downstairs and trying to learn some just a couple of those. There's a couple of little key riffs that are yeah. in um yeah. in that song, and I can remember just you know it was would have been some of the first times trying to like listen to something and then try and play it, and and you know uh, uh you know the the, the the way that that rush has gone on to become this uh, sort of worldwide force is just so amazing even even above what they were then but but oh. I, I only mention the band because i just think i there's a whole bunch of uh, points of association 
between you over the years. And I, I don't actually think we would have time to go into all of them, but I just, I just had to ask you that one question. And, and, you know, the concept again for, for this, for these conversations is to try to, uh, you know, go on, you know, try to go back and, and understand what things were like for when you were just starting music. And, you know, I've done whatever, how many of these I've done so far. And, and often yeah. the track that people go to, we, we, we do this idea of the old track. It goes back to, to high school. And um, so we kind of jump around a lot. And so I'm getting close to setting up your track here, but I'm, th- I'm just giving this sort of, uh, you know, the context that this track is something where there's the, in- the entire career of the Rio Statics uh, happens before we get to this song, which you can explain after, but I just wanted to set up that um, you're in high school, you're, you're, you know, you're, you're getting into the drums, you're getting into, I would say some pretty technical skills yeah. and, you know, you, there's the whole entire story of, of, I'm going to call it maybe like the new wave version of the rheostatics mm-hmm. and then the rheostatics, rheostatics, and yeah. then Dave leaving the rheostatics that leads up to this song. So before I play it, is there anything you yeah. want to say, I'm trying to span a very large part of your part, history? Part of yes. I'll tell, I'll tell you a couple of things. One is, yeah, Rush became the alpha and omega of like what I thought I wanted to do. And I, and I realized as I was working on things on the drum kit, when I was, really studying and practicing hard that I just couldn't, I realized at a young age, I might not necessarily be able to pull this stuff off. So I'm not going to bother for me. My thought was I'm going to work on stuff and eventually that might show up. And, uh, but I'd still be influenced by it. And then I started playing really early days. Like I started studying at the age of 12 and a half. And soon I was teaching my drum teacher students. And then I was playing, I joined the musicians union and I was playing job and gigs with old geezers and pros and people who were happening. I played with a keyboard player, played Lou Reed, all kinds of interesting things. I played in a big band and the Rio Statics, like all during my, my career during high school, I was playing with other people and doing other things. Not, and the Rio Statics were one of the things that I was doing. It, it was just, it's just a kind of more of a focal point of, of what was going on, but I was always doing other things. So, yeah. Yeah. I don't know if, that, no. if that makes any sense, just, I'm trying to just fill in the, fill in the holes for you. No, it sure so. does. And we will, we will go back a little bit, but I just wanted to sort of sort of preset yeah. that up as we go into, again, because the, I divide the conversation into four parts and this is the okay. second part. And so okay. we're going to play uh, the song you provided here uh, called Amazing Debt and it's from 1994. And here it okay. is. That was the song "Amazing Debt" uh, by Dave Clark, 1994 era. <laughs> and uh, uh, when you send it, you mentioned the idea of uh, the concept of learning harmonies. 
Yep. And uh, you, you can speak to that, but that, uh, we chatted very briefly before the show. And I would say again, a very melodic, uh, you know, a very melodic, uh, memorable song. And so it's pretty cool that this is, this was your, you know, some of the first sounds like songwriting, songwriting efforts yeah. that you were doing coming out of the Rio statics. Absolutely. Like when I, when I would work with Rio's, we would work on songs in a room and, and arrange and do stuff like that. But the, for most of the time, like in, for me in high school or, or middle school when I started and then through high school, the only thing I wanted to do, Dave, was play the drums. Uh, and yeah. I, I, I lasered in on it. And it was like, it was everything. And uh, thankfully, it was because it, it's brought me to where I am in life and it's made me very happy. And when I got around to starting dabbling with actually like singer songwriting kind of things as opposed to just contributions to songs. Uh, it didn't happen till later on. And, uh, and it was by accident like this kind of, this kind of fallout of music. It was always waiting for me and I just didn't turn the tap on. And that got turned on by playing a song for a compilation for called truck songs, but that was put up by drug records and, and curated by Lewis Melville. And I wrote yep. a song, I wrote a song there that I know you've heard. And, and, uh, I thought it was a joke, but actually my friend, one of my friends listened to it and he said, I really like that song. You should do more of that. And he, you know, there are times in life for me, at least where people have said the right thing at the right time. And I was open and, uh, he said the right thing. And I was open and it never stopped and it led on from there. And I just thought, I can do this. I'm going to do this. And that's part of what I do. And now I've written like hundreds of songs and played with tons of people and write with lots of folks. So it's fun. It's kind of funny because that's, uh, I've talked about you um, on this podcast and other things, obviously over the years. And that's one of the exact ways I put it too, is that when you came into our life, it was kind of like uh, uh, we were very open to what you were saying. And we really mm. listened and took it to heart. And I always, I always talk about different kind of Dave Clark isms that we've stick to us to this day, whether it be something like buying the musician's earplugs upon your recommendation, yeah, or whether man. it's whenever you play, you, you said a great one, which is whenever you play with a band and of course you, if you're playing on a bill, you stay and watch all the bands. And then you said, if, if you see a drummer that's not playing well, he said, just don't, do not watch the drummer. I remember that was one of your lines, like basically just don't, you just pick up bad habits, you know, and, and there was, there was so many of these that you've, you've, um, you know, imparted over the years, uh, that, you know, they still stick with me today. It's, it's amazing. And I think we were just, as you said, really receptive to it. Um, so, hmm. so it's a tip of the hat, you know? Well, thanks Dave. A lot of those kind of aphorisms or whatever, uh, came from people who shared them with me like that one, that one about, don't uh, uh was from my uh about the drummer thing was from my drum teacher jim blackley and he said laddie when you if you see a drummer who sounds and looks uncomfortable but avert your eyes <laughs> that's that's funny that you brought up jim because uh you also uh there was a very brief period where you sort of connected me and recommended me to to doing uh, just not a lot but a, a few series of lessons with jim yeah. I know Johnny, Johnny Faye from the hip also, uh, oh, man, among other everybody. people, but yeah. I just love you kind of, I, I feel like you set up the kind of the scene that I would uh, be greeted with where uh, you, you go to his house, you go down to the basement and I think maybe I had to take my shoes off and I was in my sock feet <laughs> and then uh, his wife brings down some tea yep. and then he came down and he threw on Combinator, I remember, and we kind of listened to it and we sort of talked about it for a bit and then I think he made me play along with Combinator. Yeah. Then I think he made me play along with a jazz record. Yeah. And, uh, and then there was a lot of that kind of uh, Yoda like stuff going on. It was, and I know you, you spent a lot of, a lot of time with him. I was, I was, was, you know, just a passing ship in the night kind of thing, but. Well, well, you know, like I, my experience with lessons of any type have been sometimes, uh, it can be one sentence or one year, uh, and you can get just as much out of it or maybe more depending on where you are. Again, if you're receptive and, uh, with Jim, uh, it was the, it was the right person at the right time. I needed it. Uh, I had a lot of, uh, hardship with regard to my dad kind of, uh, kicking off and, and not really happening anymore in life. And, uh, I still needed that kind of, that kind of mentorship, Yep. from an adult and uh, and also i needed i was 
I wanted to move on to the next place musically. And I studied with Jim first for two years. And I had a thought in my head on my last lesson. Uh, Geez, I think I'm done. And hand comes down on my shoulder and Jim says, lad, sounds like you're done. And, <laughs> and it freaked me out. It freaked me out. And he said, uh, you've got, you've got my number. Uh, you call me anytime, go off and play. He said, you know, you, you know, this, this stuff will start showing up in 10 years. And he was right, man. Yeah. It just started, it just started emanating out. And then, yeah, a decade later, I went back for another two years and it was monumental. And, and, uh, and then there was just a day where it was like, oh, yeah, okay, good. He said, well, well you know, call, call me again if you want. You know, it's funny, Dave. I mean, again, I only, I only had a few lessons, but you're right. There's uh, there's things that, that he – like one of them was grip, right, the way you hold the stick. And he yeah. just – he had a couple of little, you know, um, things that he showed me and then and showed me how and why and where and when to practice. And it's kind of funny because I don't I don't really play the drums a lot these days, but coincidentally – uh, mm-hmm. yesterday I did a, uh, session for the, 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 uh, podcast music buddy mu- oh, and, and I did, we did any sense of time nice. and, and, uh, and, you know, it, but the, what I was going to say was just that playing it, um, uh, my, you know, the grip that I was doing was funny cause I haven't played in a while and I was like, man, I've still got, uh, like muscle memory of the grip, literally the grip that Jim showed me that was certain yeah. I was holding. I was like, I can't believe I'm still holding it like that. I haven't played in, you know, six months or something. So uh, there man, you go. You, right. Sticks you, with you. Yeah, totally. And you know, the fact of the matter is Dave, you've played a lot and, you know, toured a lot. And you, you know, you read about like those old blues musicians. It's like, you know, a guy says, what, what were you doing for 26 years? Oh, I went and worked on a farm raising my kids. And then the guy comes back and has a bigger career. Or the woman comes back bigger career than ever. It, it's, it's all in there. Like I would, I will, I will go a step further and say that everybody has music in them and there's a possibility to with, with kindness and guidance or, or a kind of deter- self-determination to, and, and kindness toward yourself to like, take little keys and open windows and doors and all of a sudden find the voice for what you want to do. And the next thing you know, it's there. It doesn't take much. And then if you're a person like yourself, who's played so much, these things are going to show up for the rest of your life if you want. And uh, that's pretty beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was pretty cool. Um, But let's, okay, let's, um, I'm going to sort of segue to the next uh, section of the conversation yeah. and, and reference the song again. So, yeah. Dave, um, would it be okay if I just said one thing? Like, and you can cut this in or out. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, you know, you know how there's people who, there's people who I hang out with, like Dale Morningstar from the dinner's room. Uh, the old boy, we're super tight. He can say to me, Dave, I remember like uh, 1990, October 13th, 1997. He's like the rain man. And, uh, mm-hmm. And and he can be very specific. You're wearing green shoes. I remember the time you tripped over the sidewalk, and then and the ice cream cone fell, and like you could just go into detail. I I I see life as a little differently. Uh, uh, like in a certain way, I see it as one kind of glowing continuum, like ball of light. And uh, certain things really show up for me, and certain things don't. And uh, it's not for being like forgetful. It's just, I think, more because, like, I mean, I'm, I'm, uh, in the moment more, and uh, at, at these days, and so it's really an interesting challenge to go back and and try to remember stuff. To be honest, that's what I'm saying. So oh, good. I, 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 I totally uh, understand because uh, you know, one of the things for me is is now, I, sometimes I think, oh, I was playing in that band like five years ago you know, yeah. or whatever I was doing this. And I realized it's like 25, 30 years ago. Absolutely. And part of the fun or interesting, similarly, Mike has a, uh, like a photographic memory. He, it's unbelievable yes. what that guy can remember. And this is actually one of the Dave Clark isms that I did not heed that you said, you very specifically said, you got to write this stuff down because you're going to forget it. I remember you saying that very ominously back <laughs> yeah. in the day and we didn't. We didn't. I mean, maybe a little bit. Mike and I both have a little bit of stuff right now, but so yeah. you could think of this effort right now as my way of connecting with people that, uh, you know, that I had different yes. interactions with over the years, and then just take a crack at it and see what see what comes out. Because I'm the same. My, my I I'm more um, 
yeah, it's maybe like a big picture thing or something. So it's, yes. it's kind of a fun exercise just to see what comes out. And I, and I, I suspect I'm getting stories wrong and, uh, you know, or whatever, <laughs> or memories wrong, whatever you, whatever you want to call it, but it's, it's all part of the fun. And, and, you know, so, and we just have, we have so much common history that it's interesting yeah. to me to see what you, again, at 30 years after the fact, what, what sort of bubbles up. So, mm-hmm. so in the spirit of that, the next, yeah. the next section is called, it's called music becoming real. Mm-hmm. And the idea is, in your case, I think it would be we would actually go back now to the Rio Statics and say okay. there had to be there had to be some point where that you were you know you were getting success things were coming up. Uh, of course, again, because in terms of uh, timeline, we just played a song, uh, an amazing old song that you did, but it was actually after the Rios. But we're going to go back and say, yeah, what what is what is something that really stands out as a point where you know um, like mu- music became real in the sense that. Holy crap! This is something. This is a moment where uh, this could be something I'm going to be doing more. Of. Like, and this and this is a really funny one that I just thought of uh, from my history was, uh, of course, working on Combinator with you and everything you did to help us get that to the point that you know the record had success number one at a kind of Canadian college level, and then we were lucky enough to get these American and uh, touring experiences with a label. Mm-hmm. But I remember when they took us down to do the to go to a Grammy party, and yeah. so. Mike and I arrived in a taxi and this is like 95 or something like that. And I just remember that we, we, there's like literally limo, limo, limo and then taxi and the paparazzi and the inbreds get out and we're wearing like Jack shirts, whatever. And uh, I remember going up to sign in. They said, what's your name? Like, what's your name? Right. And I look at the list and the list says the guy, his, I watch his finger go down the list of names and you see Van Halen, Van Halen, Ulrich. I said, yeah, that's me. Yeah. So I think, I think music, music became real for me that day. So <laughs> sorry. That's awesome. So, so what I'm do you think for yourself, Dave? <laughs> uh, uh, <laughs> well, two things I'm thinking of is like uh, two of my all time favorite bands listed next to each other. That's that are people like the band. Uh, there you go. Yeah. Yeah. Alex and Eddie and then Dave. <laughs> yeah, not David Lee Roth. Who? David Lee Roth, amazing guy. Uh, David Lee Roth. I'm sitting in a hotel room uh, on tour with the Rio Statics. Very early days. He's in Vancouver recording the interview on in the Georgia Strait. David Lee Roth says, "Hey, listen, if you're feeling like you're not getting the art out and your music that you want to get out, go climb a mountain, read a book, come back, and you'll squeeze and squeeze more lemon juice out of that lemon than you could ever dream of." <laughs> David Lee Roth says, "The future exists as such." It will be the battle of the big bass drum and rock and roll music and sound. And he said, it will inevitably be the bat. It'll come down. The whole thing will come down. And this is so prescient because of what's happening now. He said, it's going to be the battle of the knob twiddlers. Me and the engineers and studios. He said that when I was in my (laughs) early twenties, there's no fucking AI around then. Yeah, that's right. Well, if it was, they weren't telling anybody about it. Oh yeah, you know. <laughs> so you know, think what you want about David Lee Roth. Uh, like he was not—he's not a dim bulb, and uh, uh, you know, a very interesting character, nonetheless. Okay, I, I so, love—I love his words. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, big so, fan. No, nonetheless, um, when did I feel like uh, it was uh, like a big time? Ah, interesting. Uh, we did so, we did so much stuff out the, out of the gate from the, like our first single when satellite dancing when we were little kids. To me, that seemed like oh yeah, there you go, there you go, man. That that's the thing. And yeah, uh, great song. And uh, well, you know, I just seeing a, phys- <laughs> a physical manifestation of of uh, of what it was, and uh, <laughs> um, that's pretty cool. But uh, I I do I do remember playing one gig where we played at. Uh, I think it's ended up being called the government or, oh, but it was another, I can't remember what they called it before that down, down near uh, the docks. And um, we opened up for chalk circle who had had a bunch of hits and uh, super nice guys. Like Chris is yep. a super nice guy. What a singer. Holy jumping. He's got an amazing voice. Um, uh, nice people. I like the band and we opened up for them and I was, I was really into Bill Bruford at the time. And I remember this picture of Bill Bruford where it looked like everything above him was sparkling and I was really hot. And I took a sip of water and while I was playing, I leaned, this is going to sound really stupid because it is, I leaned back 
And I, 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 I like sputtered out my mouth to, to imitate the picture I thought of Bill Bruford while I was playing. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so who does that? Like I, now, this like and I, it was a lot. Like I'm not. It was this is no no small uh, sputter, and a lot of that stuff's all landing back down on me and on my drums. Uh, but I felt kind of rock and rollish at that point in time. And the funny thing was, is I was never previous to that. I, I didn't feel like I was ever concerned. Like I I thought it was stupid that you would join a band to try. Like for instance, I heard Pete Townsend said I joined a band because I was weird looking and I wanted to meet girls, and I thought that's stupid. I joined a band because I want to play drums, and <laughs> and, and like like all I thought I used to think like anybody who was pretension towards like rock and roll shit was an idiot, and uh, you know of course uh, it's just a mirror I was holding up to myself for and uh, but it was pretty funny that was pretty funny I mean that, that it's weird little moments right um, I always felt uh, lucky and engaged with music. Uh, we we played on so many cool bills and had so much kindness shown towards us, like at CBC. I, I remember feeling really, really uh, great about working with uh, Brent Banbury and Kevin Komodo at uh, yep. Brave New Waves. And when yep. we, we pioneered the uh, uh, with those guys the, uh, the live music broadcast, it felt, you know, they took us into, uh, oh, boy, it was, boy. Makes me want to cry. Well, they, treat, uh, they treated us so good, Dave. We had we had such a similar great experience with with both doing a session and being with out in Montreal with with Brent and his, and his, his team. Um, oh yeah. yeah, I mean, key key uh, part of our story. Yeah, as well. You know, absolutely. Um, yeah, that's that's heavy. You know. Yeah, yeah. Those people were they were they were they were they were making it happen. And and uh, they were t- really dialed in, and that was very special. The, when we went in to record, that I knew one, I knew while we were doing it that we were making something beautiful. You know, um, it makes me think of just almost like just for the record, you know, some of the points of connection, you know, that we have musically was really just that, and or the way, at least the way I remember it is that I'm pretty sure the, that the Rio Stacks played the toucan, yeah, and and I did my old shtick and trick of getting a getting a tape to you guys and yeah. uh, it got into your hands and you you know from from the from the day that you seized on it uh it there was so many things that you've done over the years including you know championing us uh with your own band taking us out on tour champion us in the press then uh kind of guiding us whether it was the initial sessions with lewis melville for hilario or chemical sound then you came in and you brought us to the gas station and produced combinator and then came back later and produced winning hearts and all these different things over the years uh and many things after but it's just been a um probably musically you're probably the key character in my life you know i think actually well i feel really lucky because um people used to give us their recordings you guys included and oftentimes they would give it to the wrong guy they were the super wrong guy to give it to is tim and and Dave was second on the line that they would give it to. Nobody seemed to approach Martin that much. But you guys gave the tape to I think Dave, and I would yeah. just look in their guitar cases to see what was in there on you know at rehearsals and stuff. And I'd see these tapes, and I saw this tape, and I thought that's a really cool picture. I'm going to take that one. <laughs> and, I, and I took it home. When I listened to it, I thought I got to meet these guys. I the picture, just for, for the reference, you know, f- taken uh, a scribble that my father took off the wall at a GM, the bathroom wall at a GM plant. It's, wow, it's, it's kind of like a, a sh- shitty drawing of a, of a dog. And it, he thought it was funny that the caption was, darn foul dog, I said sit. And it was a yeah. very rudimentary drawing of a dog with a little shit behind it. Yeah, that's funny because that, that kind of drawing now would uh, be in the Museum of Modern Art. So it's, it's <laughs> yes. a pretty great piece of artwork. And uh I was just so uh, enamored with the music that I heard on and I thought, this is it. This is the stuff. And uh, I felt really lucky and not unlike you going to the, the Long McQuaid's or whatever, ready to negotiate. I wanted to meet you guys and in a, in a deeper way and work with you. And uh, it felt like something that was tenable. And the ride that we had together, like whether it was touring with the Reostatics or making recordings, you know, or not, not necessarily a facile thing all the time, at least, you know, because we were like learning together. Um, 
which I'm so grateful that you guys were able to uh, have confidence in me to learn with you to do these things. But there was just a kind of a connection, I think, like a friendship connection that uh, really uh, was special and, and made for a, a beautiful kind of musical times in, in, in all those spheres. And uh, there was something about the humor that you guys had. And, and then between you and me in particular, there was a real connection like uh, that way. And, um, you know, I respected you guys. There's so many things that, that, that you introduced us to Dave. Like we were obviously like young pups from, uh, you know, uh, you know, Mike and I are both from Oshawa, but we started yeah. the band in Kingston and, uh, you know, when we would little things like the first time, I, maybe the first time going to your apartment. Yep. And I remember, you know, walking in and you, and you were making, uh, ginseng tea. Oh yeah. Like, that's what I remember. It. And it's, you had a pot going with this thing of ginseng and I'm like, of course I had never, I didn't know what the hell was going on. I'm like, ginseng tea, you know, and, uh, yeah. little things like that or, or the, the infamous, uh, uh, Bacchus, uh, roti, you know what Woo! I mean? Another, another one that, you know, you got a food based connection. <laughs> oh yeah. The, the RIP, the Sioux sold up. Yeah, that. that's right. That's right. Yeah. 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 Well, you know, these things were like, it would, they, they were exciting for me too. Like the little things. And I was of course living with, my girlfriend, one who's I've now been married to for, and who I've been married to for over thirty years or whatever it is, but she seemed exotic, and she was, and she was a lot more uh, worldly than me. And I toured all over the joint, and uh, I was not seeing the world as uh, I don't know, like artfully as she was, but she was gently introducing me to things, and then her love helped me to discover myself more, and it helped me to be with and share with people like yourself in a way that was really magical, and then. I just felt like in some ways you guys like you're it's interesting because you guys may have viewed it more like you were like younger upstarts or something from what you've just described. But I kind of looked at you guys. I, I looked at you guys differently. Like, uh, and I, I feel this way about most people still to this day is like, you're making music. We're peers. Uh, when we're not peers is if you're uh, unkind or impolite or something in a way that's uh, off putting or if you're, spend uh, like espousing any sort of hatred or you know like uh, on any level i'm not interested in that shit but uh otherwise uh, we can get we can have a good time together and i felt like we could have a good time together and as you can tell i can i can talk on and burn the ear off an elephant and um uh so i'll just say shit <laughs> well but i'll all I was going to say, Dave, is that I think that, you know, in, in, in context of maybe summing up this section of the conversation, it sounds a lot like music, music became real for both of us uh, in many ways at the same time in, yes. through, through our connection and in so many different ways, you know? Yeah. So it's, it's kind of uh, very appropriate, but I want to, I want to like go to the last section, which sure. I just call, so it's called flash forward. So we're just going to, we're just going to zoom up to today, really. Whoa. And yeah, okay. yeah, that, that fast. And, uh, you know, talk about what life is like for you today, what kind of activities you're doing. Um, but the, you know, one point of context I would definitely say is it relates to, you know, the, the, the career, the, the life in music that you've had. I definitely remember having conversations way back about, you know, would you do something else? And because I went out and did a whole bunch of different things yeah. over the years. And, but I've, I've always kind of be connected through music in one, one way, shape, or form, but you've yeah. really stayed in music. So flashing forward to today, what would you say is, what's what's the, the, the big update in terms of the kind of things that you're doing or some of the things maybe you've been doing over the last bunch of years? Well, I mean, the major things that have been going on musically for me, uh, well, one of the things that I love doing, and I do quite a bit of it, is I teach privately, not just drumming. I work with students playing all kinds of different instruments, songwriting, recording, all manner of stuff, everybody from kids to like seasoned pros. And I've always loved teaching. And I, I, when I became ready to teach, uh, it felt like a voice spoke to me and, and about it. And I was ready to put out the, the vibration. And I've, I think I put up a poster once and since then it's been going. And that's, that's something that I'm consistently working with. And and I love that part, that adventure in music, because it allows me to understand humanity better, uh, just on so many levels as well. And, and and I'm really interested in neuroscience and how the workings of the brain. And uh, 
to learn how other people learn and what makes them connect and to watch somebody grow their brain in front of me is a privilege and, and just a thrill. And uh, I like to think of that work as uh, a partnership or an alliance where we're going on an adventure together. And if I don't know something, but you want to know it, we'll learn it together. And if I know it, I'll, I'll work with you and we'll, we'll, we'll lift that up and maybe learn even more than I thought we I knew at, at the start of it. So that's been a beautiful thing. And I've, so I've been involved in pedagogy for quite a while. I've written a book about, called How to Conduct Yourself, which came to me on an airplane flight from Calgary to Toronto. I wrote the whole thing start to finish and then, uh, and then, and then published it out. And uh, it's, I get used. I get hired to do workshops on improvisation, uh, on drumming, on songwriting, all manner of stuff I've like – taught teachers at OISE, I've taught students, university, gone down and worked with kids in, uh, uh, you know, kindergarten all, all the way through and, uh, you know, in, nationally and internationally. So that's been a, a real gift. Uh, it's a, a real cornerstone of what I've been doing for a long, long time. And uh, I've met a lot of people and made a lot of partnerships and friends through it. And uh, it's funny, one of some of the students that I remember teaching earlier on and, uh, we're at uh, like a now one of them plays drums in one of my bands is one of the one of the greatest drummers I've ever heard in my life. Not because I didn't teach him anything. He learned a uh, little witty who is like his brother, uh, him and his three two brothers are like musical wizards. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. One of his brothers plays in Bad Bad Not Good, and the other brother, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Stuff. These guys are great, anyways. Nonetheless, so there's that aspect of what I do, and I continue to do that, and it keeps evolving. Um, and it keeps me, uh, I, I feel it keeps me in the loop on a lot of stuff that's really cool. And, uh, more than anything, learning how to be with people and, and how to share with people, uh, make music happen and, and, uh, dispel a lot of mythology. It's not a top down finger pointing thing. I know, I know everything, you know, nothing, uh, listen to me. I know it. And, uh, and trying to, and if I don't know it, trying to hide that, I don't know it. It's, that's like, that's the garbage pail of, of. Of shit ped- pedagogy uh we're going on we're going to go on an adventure together like i said we're going to figure it out i'm interested in knowing what you want to know uh and if you want and it, it could be anything it could be anything and uh let's see where we go let's let's make music together it's going to happen and so that's a wonderful thing there's there's so many people that i've met over the years playing music and outside of music that have had um interactions impact uh connection with you uh, like just the other day, it was great. I did a conversation with Tony Decker. I, I really smiled inside when he mentioned that uh, Joe Lipinski was the person that, yeah, uh, right. The new, the new, the new uh, GLS album that's coming out. I was like, that's there you go, Dave Clark, right again. You know the, the Joe yeah. connection, <laughs> Uncle it's, Joe, it's man. You, it's making Woo. you proud, right? Oh man, he is like Joe's a stunning artist and an amazing producer and engineer, and him and Tony are tight, man, tight, tight, tight. And uh, uh, yeah, then and I've heard I've and I've I've heard a couple of tracks off the upcoming record, and they are beautiful. And there's one song in particular where, man, Tony's voice—it's it's just magic. And you know, and we you did mention his name before, but it's also just always worth mentioning the connection with with Dale Morningstar and yep. Dinner's Room and all the stuff that you guys did. And uh, yeah, uh, you know, I had I had a conversation with Don Kerr, and we were talking a little bit about about dale and i was i mentioned to him and i wanted to uh, have i ever uh shown it to you that the sort of i made a short um sort of like a doc a youtube kind of documentary about dale did i ever show you that before i don't know maybe maybe <laughs> anyway good old dale he's still out there and uh you know yeah. he was he was also a key part of of uh, particularly you know um combinator and and winning hearts and just goofing around <laughs> at the gas station what a guy right yeah dale's a freak in nature when i what I know we're getting a little off piece, but I will tell you this. When I first met him, I didn't know if he was the worst guitar player I'd ever heard or the greatest guitar player I'd ever been. I, I, I couldn't tell, but I knew he was interesting. And what I later found out was this guy's a stunning artist and, and a freak of a musician and a good friend. And he changed my life in the way I looked at a lot of music. And, and again, was one of those people who came along at the right time. Boy, we've gone on adventures to this day. And uh, I just was at the studio at the gas station over on the island Last Saturday, Friday night with Uncle Dale, and I just burned down all the vocal overdubs and little bits and bobs with him, uh, like straight head on. And uh, we were talking about life and getting it all going. And 
Speaking of freaks and geeks, you also have to mention the connection with the Gordowney band, you know, that, yeah. that you guys were together. And, and uh, I wonder if Gord was thinking the same thing when he was checking out Dale's guitar playing, you know, uh, uh, just as you described it, because some of those uh, some of those tracks that you guys, whether it's Julie or Josh and Ian, yeah. all the all the tones and, and different things that you guys brought in in that band, it was very, very um, bold of all of you come together like that and uh and it was an interesting what what a what a partnership you know or what a that that creation this is a this is a classic dale story dale says hey like the he had been was getting booted out of the building on party avenue uh uh, he had this amazing space him and don kerr uh and um he said he calls me up and he was glarky Guess who's the last? And I'm, you know, just say it the way you said it. Guess who's the last fucking session on uh, at, at the gas station before we tear the walls down and leave? I said, I don't know. He said, Gord motherfucking Downey. <laughs> I said, what? I, I said, the, the, the next thing I said was, man, if he needs a drummer, tell him I'm I'm around. And this is a Dale thing. Dale took that to heart, man. Two days later, I got a phone call. Hey, is Dave there? Yeah, yeah. Hi, how are you doing? Oh, Dave, it's Gord. Uh, and and it all ensued from there and uh yeah we recorded that record in the round in the in the room at the gas station no headphones sing uh singing out and uh man it was a beautiful like that's the first record i'm talking about coke machine glow uh and uh boy that was a special occasion everybody was dialed in and gord was so ready to like do something and he was yeah. open. He was open to everything, every suggestion, and, and uh, it, for me, it made like a, a a pretty beautiful moment. And then, of course, a series of moments and, and a great friendship with a beautiful friend. And uh, uh, I'll I'll be ever thankful for Dale for doing that for me, and for Gord for calling me up. It was magic. Uh, you great know, on stuff. a on a drum drum note, I gotta say, Dave, because I was just listening to. Um coke machine glow walking in the woods the other day and i was like i love i love the way you uh the couple particularly a couple of songs you really stripped it back i love it you know they're, oh, they're these little you, these little these little what i would call four on the floor that would build with these textures you know and yeah. which is one of your things that you're very capable of doing short of playing like neil pert as well <laughs> but <laughs> on that record on that record in particular there's it, it's really and then there's just this kind of this uh well coke machine glow right that kind of comes off the music right so it's very very yeah. uh just a great feeling all around it. That's that's all. Musically speaking, like I'm always busy. I'm always playing, and I have my own band, the Woodshed Orchestra, which has a myriad of great artists, each and every one of them, like a an incredible leader on their own, and playing with all kinds of bands. Joe Lipinski one is one of them in the band. We're playing tonight at the Moonshine and Cafe in Oakville, which is always a great gig. And uh, Rebecca Hennessy, who's like played with just everybody, you know, like when. Uh, when big stars come to town, she's at Maple Leaf Gardens or the ACC playing horns with people like Adele. And she's got her own stuff happening, Makeshift Island, which is amazing, and a whole bunch of myriad other bands. And uh, Michael Herring, who's a huge like top-call jazz bass player in town. Uh, and uh, just uh, such a great band. Raha Jabafar is going to be playing. Raha's like a polymath, a, a person who's like big in the theater community. Then all of a sudden, you'll see her playing violin or bass. She's got like great bands. All these people are great. So anyways... That band, and I've, I've got, I've played with so many people, Dave. Like over the time, yeah. with the since the Rios, that it would be hard for me to enumerate them. I've traveled to Mali, West Africa, and played with legends there, and uh, in Cuba, and you know, in the states, and and I've been very lucky. So, I mean, the latest thing is uh, tonight. Tonight, I'm playing the Moonshine Cafe. Tomorrow, I'm playing with Jerry Legere with Tim Bobacondi and the Delphi's. Nice. <laughs> And nice. I love playing with Jerry. Jerry is one of my faves. What a beautiful songwriter. Not pressing his last record that he put out was is is beautiful. And he is a walking encyclopedia of great music. And he just plays, starts playing tunes, and we jump in. Um, and then uh, last night, I was like, I just decided that it, during the pandemic, when I come out, when this thing, when I come out of this thing, I'm going to be starting a whole bunch of bands because I'm going to want to do a lot of playing more than I already am. Uh, and so I started up like a jazz kind of oriented thing called the Dave Clark four. And that's with, uh, uh, Tanya Gill, who's an amazing piano player. He's also an old, a long time collaborator in bands yeah. that I have yeah. Chris Banks. who I've played with over the years, like great bass player. And then 
Allison Ao, who is like a, a person I've always wanted to play with. She's like a, you know, Juno winning jazz artist, like super happening songwriter and, and, and amazing horn player. So, uh, yeah, I play with that band. I got to have residency this month at the Rex. And then I've got a country band I've started called, uh, Dave Clark's Western Slang. <laughs> and that's with like, uh, local guitar legend, Nickel Robertson. And, oh, yeah. uh, yes. and, uh, and Paul Kalinsky and my buddy Lowell Whitty on drums, Michael Herring on bass and, and, uh, Tanya Gill on piano. And I'm standing up front in a shiny jacket singing all these country tunes that I just didn't have a home. And I realized I wrote a lot of country tunes, gonna sing them. And then, uh, and then I've That's got great. another band I started with, uh, called, uh, the DKs. It's me, Dave Clark, Dale Morningstar and drummer Davide Dorenzo. An amazing drummer plays there. Cassandra Wilson, uh, you know, all around the world. Mary Margaret O'Hara, he plays with Tom Cocker, and he plays you name it. He's he used to drum in Jacksonville, he plays with everybody. And then with a uh, guitar legend and freak of the highest uh regard, which I say with all uh all honor and and uh, love, is uh Kevin Bright on guitar. And uh, if you don't know Kevin, you need to look him up. Kevin's played yep. with everyone, he's yeah. Would toured for years with Nora Jones. He's uh, played with Dolly Parton. He's like Bill Frizzell. I, I can't even list them. And uh, we just start playing. And the uh, and the KDs is a freaky band, a good time. And uh, and then there's other stuff that consistently happens. I just play all the time. I, that's what I've always done. And 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 collaborated with people, songwriting, and uh, it's good times. There you go. There's Dave, more. You 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 obviously still have a lot of fire in you and that is so amazing after you know everything that you've done um and Thanks, I'll, I'll make sure to include a lot of the, as many of those details in the show notes as possible so people can get some links and check them out yeah um, you know but it, I, it, I do like to sort of along. it is yeah 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 it's, it keeps keeps cooking um yeah. the the ginseng is still cooking Oh yeah. Uh, so uh, okay. So like, I like to end the uh, the conversation on something approximating a type of life lesson. And given everything that you just you described, everything that you're doing right now implies yep. there's all kinds of things coming up. But you've you know you've, you've done a lot. So one way I put this question is to say what you would, you know, if you could speak to your 12 year old self, what you might say say to that that young person, or just out of everything, when you yep. re- reflect a bit, um, maybe coming out of this conversation, something that is a type of a type of uh, life lesson that you might want to leave leave for music lovers out there everywhere. Yeah, yeah. Um yeah, sure if I want to speak to the, to a younger me uh and in fact uh, I would say this to an older me uh and uh uh don't be so hard on yourself. Um that that skill for anybody that you need to push yourself forward towards excellence at some point starts to work against you. And for a lot of people, the, the negative inner voice is the, is the nadir of creativity and the freedom of who you are. It will, it will thwart you in every way. It doesn't mean you need to shut that voice down. You need to hear that person. That's a younger you, a very young you who's afraid of uh, rejection or, or what's perceived failure and wants to be noticed and loved. And, uh, Listen to that person and invite them onto the ride as opposed to rejecting them or reviling them. Look at, listen to their thoughts and understand that their thoughts are merely thoughts and old fears like old pictures. Uh, be you and uh, you're worth it. And I say, that, uh, I say that to students and friends all the time. When you think you want to do something and it feels good in your, it feels like something you want to do, a positive thing, do it. Listen to your fears and invite them in, and they will start to dissipate over time. And you will notice that you're in the throes of enjoying yourself and doing things that you never dreamed you thought you could do. And then it becomes the template for moving forward. I've learned this stuff, or I'm learning this stuff, and I keep having to relearn these lessons as an adult. Uh, years of therapy have helped that. Be kind. Not just to other people, but to yourself. And if you're kind to yourself, it makes it even easier to be kinder and see the world as a beautiful and loving place.
That is the song April Fool by Kevin Bright featuring Dave Clark from 2021. Earlier on in the conversation, you heard Dave's embryonic track called Amazing Debt from 1994. It was great to spend an hour with Dave and uh, just revisit all the things that we've done together over the years. And uh, one one note that comes to mind uh, as, uh, you know, from a drummer to another drummer, we talked about the idea of the uh, influence of Neil Peart and something that occurred to me was... Uh, was that I mentioned in the in the episode playing trying to learn some riffs from the songs Time Stands Still and uh, I'm reminded that the very first song that we recorded in a studio at Lewis Melville's place in Guelph uh, with Dave Clark was the inbred song Russ and so if you ever want to see um, me trying to recreate at least some element of Neil Peart's uh, specific fill from that song you can check out the song Russ. If there's one thing I've never been accused of, I think it's overplaying, but maybe that's the one song where I'm attempting to. Anyway, great journey, and uh, thanks, Dave, for all the support over the years. And I, I say this a lot, but I obviously recommend check out the show notes. Check out all the projects Dave's doing these days. you got to go see him live. If you're in Toronto or if you're in anywhere else in the universe, make sure you check out Dave Clark, and uh, his influence is, is huge. So thanks again, Dave. And everyone else, thank you for listening. If you like this podcast, be sure to subscribe, like, and tell all your best music-loving friends about it. Today's episode was brought to you by Zunior.com and me, Lemonade Dave. I've done a lot of things in music over the years, but these days, I mostly make bottled lemonade by hand in Prince Edward County. I'm going to crack a cold one right now. But if you're ever in PEC, be sure to ask for it by name and tell them Dave sent you. Dave had it made Sitting pretty in the shade Heaven gave him lemons And he squeezed it into lemonade To think a drink without the trouble Of drinking drinks and shots and doubles He said, hark all, make it sparkle stuff to make it bubble Lemonade day Like the sparkling lemonade If it's hot I'll get a bottle Even if it's not I'll Get a bottle that is <laughs>